Okay, I'm going to read Isaiah 1. So the story of Israel gets into the promised land, and from almost day one, they are rebellious. Uh, God told them to clear out the land, and they didn't, and they kept slaves. And like from day one on, they are just not following God's ways. Leadership is corrupt. And this whole beautiful picture of like, we're going into the promised land and we're going to be the beautiful nation that's holy and set apart. And the world is going to be jealous of our God and the the nations are going to stream up to our mountain and they're going to learn the ways of God and they're going to take the ways of God out throughout the world is not happening. And they've taken the idols of the nations around them and they've become just as corrupt as everybody else. And it's a horribly sad history. And as I'm watching us worship, these words of Isaiah are running through my head. So I'm just going to read for a little while. The prophet is confronting this rebellious nation, okay? And he says, Hear me, you heavens, listen, earth, for the Lord has spoken. I reared children, I reared children. And brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its master, the donkey knows its owner, its owner's manager, but but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Woe to the sinful nation, a people whose guilt is great, a brood of evildoers, children given to corruption. They've forsaken the Lord, and they've spurned the Holy One of Israel, and they've turned their back on Him. Why should you be beaten anymore? And this is like after a long history of God warning them, and then here comes discipline, and it's like another nation comes in and takes them. And it's like this battle that keeps happening, and the prophets are saying, just turn to the Lord. And they turn to the Lord, and they turn away from Him as fast as they turn to Him, and another beating Why do you persist on rebellion? Your whole head is injured. Your whole heart is afflicted. From the sole of your foot to the top of your head, there's no soundness, no stability, only wounds and welts and open sores and cleanse that are bandaged or soothed with olive oil. Your country is desolate. This is not the holy city. It's desolate. Your cities are burned with fire from foreign nations. Your fields are being stripped by foreigners right before your eyes, laid waste as when overthrown by strangers. Daughter Zion is left like a shelter, like a shack full of tools in a vineyard. Not a beautiful city, a tool shed, like a hut in a cucumber field, like a city under siege. And unless the Lord Almighty had left us some survivors, we would have become like Sodom. We would have become like Gomorrah. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the instructions of our God, you people of Gomorrah. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord. He's saying, when you come together in worship services, And you make these sacrifices, but you're living in evil ways. Does this please me? I've had more than enough of your burnt offerings. Rams of fat and fattened animals. I have no pleasure in them. In the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you? 
this trampling of my cords. It's a disgrace. Stop bringing me meaningless offerings. Your increase in what you bring to me is detestable to me. I don't enjoy it. Your celebrations and Sabbath and convocations, I can't bear your worthless assemblies any longer. How's God feeling right now? Angry. Yeah. And, and I'm not trying to put this on us. I just want to put you in the heart of God towards sin. Your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals, I hate with all my being. They've become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer your prayers, I am not listening. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the orphans. Plead the case of the widow. He tells him to repent, like learn this new way. Then this beautiful peace, after all of that, we were like, dang, I don't know if there's anything come. I don't know if we can come back from this. Like it feels like God has given up. Like a father to his son, he says, come now. Let's go settle this, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet. We can make them white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they can be like wool. We, um, we were praying in the back. Um, so tonight is on the cross. Like, look to the cross. And I've been a Christian for... I don't know, 30, um, 35 years. Thank you. What makes you think I need this? Yeah. <laughs> um, I've been a Christian for 35 years, and I've heard the cross preached, I mean, how many times per year? Uh, 50 times per year, I've heard this message. And there's something coming to a moment like this where we can't understand how beautiful the cross is unless you understand how bad sin, sin is. And we live in um, maybe a church tradition that, uh, that glories in the cross. But sometimes when I hear us talk about sin, I'm like, we don't have this right. Like, you come to me with sin. I'm like, yeah, that's all right, man. You know Christ died for it. It's all good. Like, don't beat yourself up, you know? And then I don't see that. I don't see that in the scriptures. Like, a kind of repentance that is, I don't know, shallow, doesn't involve tears. Um, and...
So we're going to go to Psalm 51. Uh, turn to Psalm 51. If you're not familiar with this psalm, uh, this is like, this is a standard psalm that I will send you when you call me and you are undone uh, with sin. So there's, I don't know, maybe a couple times a year that I'll get a phone call and it's somebody that's totally messed up their life. Like, you've, you've ruined your life probably in one decision beyond repair and it's over, and everything that you've worked for is done. And they're calling, and they're weeping, and there's regret, and there's sorrow, and there's unimaginable fear of what happens next. And the pattern of my pastoral ministry in this moment is a little awkward, but I will say, I don't want to talk to you for three days. You need to go, you need to go cry. And not like feel sorry for yourself. Like you need to go deal with God. And there was a moment in my life where I, I was walking all night because I was just in regret and hurt and confusion. And the closest I've ever felt to God was I probably walked from 10 p.m. till, I don't know, it felt like, I mean, it felt like 1 a.m., 2 a.m. And I was just walking like, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. I didn't even have words, just... I don't know what this feeling is, this cloud. I don't know what to do next. And I remember, you know when you like pass under the street lights and you can kind of see your shadow and it moves because it's like you're going under the light and then all of a sudden it moves and you can see your shadow. Uh, I remember I saw my shadow and for a second, it was strange to me that it was just me. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm so sorry. And actually, if somebody could get me a water bottle, that might help. Uh, he was like so close to me that when I saw my shadow and it was just me, I thought, this is weird. I've been talking to someone for f four hours. And then he didn't have a shadow. And then, of course, like a second later, I'm like realizing, oh my gosh, man, the Lord feels so close to me right now. And I feel like in those moments when we deal with that sin. Sometimes we just want to call a friend and we minister just like comfort to that friend, you know, like it's going to be okay and, and you're going to be all right. And we just want to like calm them down. And I'm telling you, like the people that get Jesus don't calm down. Do you know that? Peter uh, his first interaction with Jesus, he's, you know, out on the boat all night and nothing's happening. And then Jesus says, why don't you throw the nets on the other side? And they had already started cleaning their nets. And they're, Jesus, we've been fishing all night. We haven't caught anything. But okay, because you said it and they throw it off to the side and you know the story, the boat starts sinking. Do you guys know G or Peter's response? He falls on the ground and he says, get away from me. He says, I'm sinful. Like, I don't belong with you. Um, Isaiah 6, this beautiful passage 
when the prophet Isaiah, when you talk about a community, like a rebellious, a rebellious community, the prophet is the one that is like the faithful one that is speaking for God, calling to them to repent. And the prophet Isaiah gets taken in a, in a vision up into kind of the throne room of God. And when we sing, holy, 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 we're just echoing the, the prayers and the songs of the angels that are in this throne room in Isaiah 6. And as soon as he sees the Lord, same response, I'm a dead man. I'm sinful. Peter falls on the face and says, I'm sinful. Get away from me. There's this, uh, in, in Luke 7, there's this story of a woman who has a bad reputation in the city. It's like the woman that everybody knows in the city has ruined some marriages and she, she's, she's corrupt and everybody knows it. And the Pharisee is kind of the good, the good pastor, the good teacher. And he invites Jesus over and he kind of has Jesus on trial. Like, who do you think you are? asking them questions, firing questions. I'm trying to figure out if you're good or bad. And if you can picture like the Pharisee is up here and he's kind of like asking Jesus to prove himself. And then this woman that has the bad reputation, she walks in in the middle of the dinner and she begins to wash Jesus's feet with her tears. She's got a horrible reputation. Everybody knows it. And she lets down her hair and she's wiping his feet and she can't stop kissing him. And actually there was a painting that I came across that somebody made this painting and I was like, that feels like Luke 737. And this woman comes in and she is washing his feet and kissing and worshiping and she can't stop crying. And the Pharisee up here is looking down at Jesus and is going like, okay, he, he, he did not pass the test. If he let that woman, who we all know who she is, touch his feet and let her hair down around him, this guy is not a prophet. And Jesus said, he looks at him, and then he looks at the woman, and he begins to speak to him. And this is significant. He's looking at her, and he's speaking to him. And he says, you know, ever since I walked into your house, you didn't give me a basin of water to wash my feet. You didn't hug me or you didn't kiss me. At his feet right now, she's worshiping. She's washing his feet and crying and she's making a scene. And he's looking at her and he says, you know what? You didn't like anoint, you didn't use any oil or fragrance or given me anything to greet me into your house. And this woman has not stopped kissing my feet and washing my feet with her hair. And he said, I've, what do you, I, there's two people that owe a debt. One is $5,000, another is $500,000. When that debt is forgiven, who do you think is going to be more grateful? And the Pharisee up here, well, the one that was forgiven the debt of 500000 and he says, yeah. And then he says, you love little. And she loves great. She's been forgiven. Great. Sister, you've been forgiven. How did that fall on her ears? 
like that Peter, depart from me. I don't have anything to do with, with you. What would her thought process have been that night when she hears Jesus is with the Pharisee and there's just a burden on her heart, like, I need to go to him. Like, I need to get this off my chest. I'm full of shame. Everybody knows that I've done wrong. It's hidden. It's been hidden and it's been exposed and I just need to deal with it. And everyone is going to know when I walk into that room, I don't care. I just need to be near him. She throws herself at his feet and she gets to hear, sister, your sins are forgiven. You love much because you've been forgiven much. Brother, you love so little because you forgive, you've been forgiven so little. The reality of that story is like, has he really been forgiven little? Like, is his sin so small? No. He's got a different kind of sin. God opposes the proud up here and gives grace to the humble. And some of you, the sin in your heart tonight is you stand above Jesus and you question him if he's good or not. Like, he's got an answer to you. You're up here. God opposes that, but he gives grace to the woman who goes, I see it. It's in front of my face. Two men went up the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other tax collector. The Pharisee, again, this is like the good pastor type. They're the teacher, right? And the tax collector would be the person in our community who's compared to the prostitute, okay? So like we put tax collectors down in the same level as this woman. And Jesus tells this story in Luke 18 because he's watching his community talk and interact. And these people over here have a huge problem with Jesus. Look at, they're up here judging Jesus, and they're judging Jesus because Jesus is interacting with bad people, with bad reputations, okay? And these religious people do not like it. And they're like, this guy cannot be a prophet. He can't be from God. So Jesus sees it. And in his kindness, he goes, hey, I've got a story to tell. There's two men that went up the temple to pray. One is a Pharisee and the other is a tax collector. Immediately in our community, we would have been like, good guy, bad guy, easy, and he says, and here's a painting kind of of the picture. Here's the Pharisee. The Pharisee stood by himself and he prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. God, I thank you that I'm exceptional. God, I thank you that I'm good. Robbers, not like robbers, not like evildoers or people that commit adultery or even like this tax collector. I do the fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all. I'm doing all the things. What, a, what an amazing prayer. Thank you, Lord, for this. All right? And in the background, you see this tax collector. And he's like curled up in a ball. I have control over this. I don't know. Maybe somebody could help me out. Oh, there we go. But the tax collector stood at a distance and he would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his chest and he said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. Same response. 
woman on her face, Isaiah on his face, Peter on his face, tax collector on his face, and all of them saying, I can see it. I can see it. And it's a problem. Because I don't deserve you. Have you ever seen in a movie where it's like someone, some glorious figure shows up and it's like there's an army and it's like as soon as people lay their eyes on this person, it's like the whole army just hits the ground and bows down. This is the response that Jesus is getting. Have mercy on me, a sinner. Simon, sinful man. I'm a man of unclean lips. This is Isaiah. Sorry, because I'm kind of going off script. This is all over the place. Psalm 32. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Guys, there is a epidemic. There, there is an absolute epidemic of mental health. Right? And we go, it's groaning. It's wetting our bed with tears. It's staying up all night with a dark cloud. It's, it's feeling fatigue, like you have no energy, like you can't go outside. You don't want to see anyone else. It feels like the world is caving in on you. And there's lots of people feeling it. And the psalmists are describing, I groan all day long. We call that depression. Like you're, you're feeling depressed. My bones are being crushed. My strength, I have no strength. I feel fatigued. Doctor, I feel fatigued. Like my body is just not doing well. It's like it's in the summer and everything is just, I'm just exhausted. He says, that's how I felt when I kept silent. In other words, when I saw it, I saw my sin, but I didn't go to Jesus. I didn't break into the dinner table and fall at his feet. I just chose to separate myself from God because of this sin. And then he says, I acknowledged my sin to you. I kept silent no longer. I can see it. Here it is, Lord. I did not cover up my iniquity. How many of us are covering up our wickedness? Social media is, I, I have a problem with it. I don't have a problem like I'm convicted, you guys should be, shouldn't be on it. I have a problem with it like I, I get addicted to scrolling. Like, I, so I'm not saying like you're, you're a generation, okay? It is really easy to cover up when we can choose the image we're going to present to people right? Like I have deep, dark stuff going on inside me, but I can post a picture with my friends where I'm smiling and we look pretty and I could look through 10 pictures to make sure I have just the right one with just the right expression and just the right vibe and go, that's what I want people to think post. And inside people are, strength is drying up in the heat of summer. Bones are being crushed and we're hiding our iniquity. And if it's not on social media, it's just kind of like we can put that facade on of that face, like everything is okay. And it's not meant to be like that. There's a solution to this. 
when God says to the prophet Isaiah to Israel, who's just like, he's just absolutely given him a shellacking of a, of a like word vomit of disappointment towards his people. And then he says, come, let us deal with this. Although your sin is crimson, I can make it white as snow. Let's go handle this. Let's not do this any longer. Let's acknowledge our sin and let's deal with it. And I will make you white as snow. That's my hope for tonight. The psalmist, uh, Psalm 51. Did I tell you to turn there like 30 minutes ago? So that was my intro. No, it's not my intro. Okay. Psalm 51. After three days of me telling you, you need to go pray to God. This is typically what I follow up with. This is the kind of prayer. This is the kind of heart. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge me. He's agreeing, I don't belong with you. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me, yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in the secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop, please, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me to the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will come back to you so that sinners will come back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You who are God, my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord. My mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in worship. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is just to be broken in front of you. A broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, you, O God, do not despise. And may it please you to prosper us. There is a a way of responding to sin and that where I see my sin and it's offensive to God and it's hurtful to others and it's humiliating to me and it's disqualifying from my relationship with God and it's destructive to his world and it's deserving of judgment. God has said he's going to come and judge the world and rid this place of sin and I've taken the side of sin and it's in me 
And when you realize that, when you can see that, how do you respond? You have nothing to do but to fall on your face and beg for mercy. That's every single example of repentance is I can bring nothing. I can't do good works. I haven't done good works. It's in me. I can't get it out of me. All I'm asking is wash me. But sometimes in counseling, it feels like this. We talk about a sin issue and it's like, yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, I slip up and, you know, it's just like everybody else. I kind of, I have this and, um, I mean, it's not really hurting anyone and everyone does it. And let me tell you all the reasons why I do it, because this is kind of like, I mean, from my childhood, this has kind of been, and there's this, what could it hurt? I mean, why is it hurting? Why is God even against this stuff? You know, why doesn't he like this? Why can't we do this? I'm starting to judge Jesus and why he made these rules that I can't follow. And we talk about sin in this way of just like, I know Jesus is going to forgive me. This is not that big a deal. God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. And we think we're preserving ourselves from like going into the deep, dark place and going like, this sin I need to deal with, we think I'm like, I'm staying out of it by just keeping it surfacy. And yet in my surfacy, I don't get to experience the glorious grace. How do you take something on the cross that's the solution and it becomes an earring and a necklace and something we do really quick before communion and old news and something that even might even push me into sin because I know it's there and it's for me. And so I can go partake in sin as much as I want. And I know that thing is there, that cross. How do you, how do we redeem that image to where like the sin and judgment that we deserve? It's it's his solution. That guy, he gets it. In this whole community where they're like, good guy, bad guy. We've already figured it out. Tax collector, he's the bad guy. Pharisee, he's the good guy. And then at the end of the story, Jesus goes, flip it. That's the good guy. Why is he good? He's not. He gets that he's bad. And the moment you realize you're bad, he says, justification is for you. Grace is for you. Mercy is for you. Throw yourself at the feet of a gracious and merciful God. He sent his son. How do we deal with disappointment? And how do we navigate the disappointment of this personal sin? Here's the deal. We have to confess it. But before we can confess it, we have to acknowledge that it's there. 
We have to stop masking it. We have to stop telling everybody it's okay. And we've got to say, like, there's something in me that needs to be dealt with. Come now. Let's go, son. Let's go deal with it and confess it. Acknowledge it and deal with it. Where is it dealt with? If we can like just picture Jesus as the father or the father saying to Jesus, come on, we're going to deal with their sin now. And he's moving Jesus and Jesus gets the picture of the cross and he knows exactly how it's going to get dealt with. And Jesus falls on his face. And he sings the psalm. My soul is in anguish. Like, I don't like this. I know what that cross looks like. I've seen it. But what shall I say? Father, save me from the cross. It was the very reason that my father has brought me. For God so loved us that he sent his son that whoever trusts in him, whoever believes in him will not perish but has eternal life. We throw ourselves at the foot of the cross and he says, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. He cries out. He cries out, God, God, why have you forsaken me? We were supposed to be forsaken. We were supposed to be the one kicked out. He's experiencing it in that moment for us. Where are you, God? And then the song that pushes him to trust. And he says, here I am. Here's my spirit. Here's my spirit. Into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he said this, he breathed his last. It is finished. In John 15, he was sitting with his disciples and he said this. He's talking about what it looks like to obey the commands of God. He's talking about the vine and bearing much fruit. And he makes this comment that nobody really understood at the time. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for one's friend. Jesus is staring his friends in the face and saying, there is not an imaginable love, whether in fantasy or in reality, that surpasses this kind of love when somebody will die for somebody else. That's supreme love. There's nothing greater you can't find it in a romantic relationship. You won't find it in a boyfriend. You won't find it in a girlfriend. Your parents cannot give you this kind of love. Your friends will not give you this kind of love. And you are looking to be satisfied <laughs> by love. And he's staring you in the face and he's saying, you're looking for love in the wrong places. There is no greater love than someone that will die for you. And then on the cross, they see Christ crucified, tortured, nailed to a cross. Their friend died for them. The punishment we deserved.
And Paul says later the same thing. He's demonstrated his love for us in this. You want to put Jesus on trial? Prove to me that you're right. Prove to me that you're good. Why do you do this? Why do you do that? How come this is this? And you're standing above Jesus. And he's saying, I have demonstrated, I have put on display how I feel about you. You've done nothing. You've done nothing. You've judged him. You've rebelled against him. You've partook in the enemy of him. You've lived in the pattern apart from him. That's what we've brought. And he said, I've demonstrated how I feel about you, just as you've demonstrated how you feel about me. He's put on display his love for you. He's died on the cross. Not when you were doing the best you could, but when you were sinners, Christ died. All right, let's pray. The band can come up. I don't think there's room uh, to get on your knees. But if you just feel like, I need this dealt with. Oh, sorry, dude. There's no hoops you need to jump through. If you want to deal with it right now, there's no hoops. It is a free gift. How do we, how do we receive gifts? It's literally, my mom hands me a present and I say, thank you. That's it. So in this moment, if you want to close that real quick. In this moment, if you feel like there's some stuff just deep down there that I want to deal with, We'll have people up here to pray for you. Uh, or should we do that in the back, Corey? Would it be better in the back? This is such a confined space. What do you want to do? At the end of the service. Okay, the service. okay. Um, here's the deal. If you don't have the posture space to do it, it's, we're throwing ourselves at the feet of Jesus. And, and many of you, you've done this. You are, you are a child of God. And we can still look at that cross and throw ourselves at the feet of Jesus in gratitude because we have done nothing and he has done everything and he's come and he's dis displayed his love for us and he's offered freedom, freedom from sin, freedom from judgment and a new life with God. And this might be a first time for you. And I would say if it's a first time for you and you say, this is it. <laughs> if that's true, I want him. So let's do it. Uh, we're going to have prayer time afterwards, but I'll just, I'm going to stay out, I'm going to stay out here. And if anyone wants to come and talk, we can come and talk. Okay. When we're navigating the disappointment in our sin, God has given us a path. We have to look to the cross, nothing else. Let's pray. Father, what a glorious
reality. That from the top of the mountain, you see clearly and you see our sin clearly. And you see your son clearly and you see the love of Christ clearly. And you see the ultimate plan to reconcile all things under Christ. And all you're asking us to do is to come to your feet and to humble ourselves and to say, we see it. We acknowledge it. Lord, have mercy. Lord, we're throwing ourselves once again at your mercy. Give us your forgiveness. Give us your love. And then, God, I just pray for a sweet time of worship. God, this is heavy and also glorious. So, Lord, we want to respond with our voices and our hearts and our emotions and our bodies. It would be inappropriate for us to not praise you right now for what you've done for us. In Christ's name we pray, amen.